Well, hello there. This is Brian Lanson, and you've tuned in to this episode of the Altitude Sessions podcast coming to you from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Selling season is upon us in healthcare, and we're going to spend a little time talking about just some of the general sales tactics that are out there that might help you get a little boost as we look into this very tightly formed period where revenue is driven for many of you that listen to this podcast. And then we're going to stick on the topic of loneliness and top leadership and why we focus on that at a personal level as part of some of the work we do at M4. We're really glad you stopped by. Let's get into it. All right. Well, again, this is Brian Melanson at M4 Innovation. This is the Formulate Jackson Hole Marquee Gathering Preparation Week leading up to a number of folks Looks like around 92 folks coming up and spending time with us in the uh, Jackson Hole Valley on October 14th to the 16th. And we're excited for the group that's been put together. But as you might be able to tell with my uh, my voice here, this is the 2 a.m. podcast edition, just given the level of prep that goes into the strategy group that we uh, have put together and we put together toward the end of the year every year. So... These uh, podcasts are always authentic. They're never edited, which means every once in a while you hear a boneheaded thing said by me, and I can't guarantee tonight there might not be something along that line. So stick with me, and as you're having your coffee or in your car or on your run or on the plane listening to this, we're in it together tonight, but we're really, really glad that you're here with us, and I think we've got a pretty good set of things that we can talk about that will... roll into the selling season that we're entering into with if you're on the insurance side of the business, the annual enrollment period, the open enrollment period, you know, that very compressed period in the consumer and Medicare sides of the market. You know, we're really about to jump into those periods and it's where a majority of membership and revenue comes from and, you know, really an entire year's worth of planning comes to its culmination it's fruition and you either hit numbers or you don't. And I just thought as the inspiration for that, you know, knowing we're moving into it, knowing that a lot of the more heady healthcare related topics have really been toward the study and preparation of the strategic pillars that we have coming forth at formulate. So I wanted to shy away from that a little bit. And even from my own mental sanity, stay away from talking about some of that stuff for a bit, just, given the intense focus that's been put on it these last few days. So just starting on the sales front, you know, I think most of you that are listening to this, just as core advice, I think just about everybody that's listening to this has a LinkedIn account. And I thought I'd share a few insights from someone, and I know many of you probably go through this same thing, and it's very likely that most of you do go through this, but someone that gets pinged on LinkedIn multiple times a day, every day of the week. And uh, I'll be honest, as an individual, I have for a bit probably accepted fewer and fewer people coming through LinkedIn than I might have in the past. And I know there's some of you out there that are obsessed with numbers and number of followers and people that you're linked to and that you're following or following you and that's kind of that social media thing where uh, the technology gods 
probably want you to get hooked on that. I'm a little bit less focused on that and a little bit more focused on, from my end, turning LinkedIn into a place that I can connect with people that are close to our community, our group, or close to, you know, thought leaders and even other areas outside of healthcare that I want to trust and follow and hope that even on rare occasions, there are things that show up in my feed that are kind of enlightening or illuminating and want to reduce more and more. And I think this is true even in email and and other things, but just more and more, I want to reduce personally a lot of the noise that tends to come in and I know my team on our end helps collate some of that noise a little bit better, more and more. We can still get better at that, but there's just so much stuff anymore in this, this world that we live in that comes at us that, you know, taking an approach there that is thoughtful and in, in who you connect with and who you accept is just a simple premise that I think sometimes we start to overlook as, as we get caught up into other things. But that's not the point that I'm really trying to drive at. My my point is on the sales front, when you look at LinkedIn as a platform, and if you're someone that's out there and you're trying to drive revenue and you're trying to build a relationship with someone that could be your meal ticket at some point in the future, a few things. One, if you're just building a relationship, if you're an insurance sales rep and you're working with an employee benefit broker and you haven't seen them in multiple months and now it's time to sell when they happen to be one of your better partners, it's probably too late because the key phrase in all of that is, you know, it's a relationship building game that we're in. And if you are late in the game and trying to develop and nurture and curate that relationship, something that probably should have been done over, the multiple months leading up into this period, you're playing behind the eight ball. And I'll tell you one of my biggest pet peeves, and I don't hold it against people for trying to do it, but ever since LinkedIn started selling all of these in-mail credits and in other things, it's, it's, it's crazy to, to even quantify the number of requests and the, hey, you want to buy my shit? type emails that I get from people that I have no idea who the fuck they are. And you know, the rule number one in sales is you don't sell to a stranger. And I think that what the platform has put in play and has tried to transactionalize relationship development in some area where, you know, hey, uh, somebody sends something to me and I'm like, I accept because I find them interesting to maybe come into my community. And we're not all of a sudden best buddies. And it's not all of a sudden this this world that we live in that now because I've accepted and we're, you know, in your mind, maybe best buddies, you can send over some type of a, an in-mail request or just a direct messaging request at that point to say, here's my shit, you want to buy it? Because the answer more often than not, I would say 99.99999% of the time is No. because I still don't really know you. We haven't built a relationship. We haven't curated something along a timeline that increases my faith and trust in who you are as an individual. 
because the whole thing around relationship building and, you know, curating and building and deepening a relationship as being one of the key tenets to being successful in sales is the fact that until you've done that, you're not going nowhere because that relationship deepening process is really what it really is, is a trust process. It says that I now know you well enough. I know you, you maybe don't know your organization well, but I know you well enough to know that you're an ambassador of your organization and, you know, in a more risk averse universe that we live in in healthcare, I know that if I have to kick somebody in the shin, I can kick you. And I'm going to have confidence that in those moments, you'll be able to make your organization respond to help de-risk whatever might, might have just gone wrong. So, you know, in, in the long and short of it, the world we live in, if you connect with somebody on LinkedIn and then you try to go right away into selling, and I tell, talk about this with, with our team all the time, and we're still trying to get better at it too because we're not perfect. But if you go from connection to now I need a tangible outcome and you try to do that in like a week or less, you're probably going to come up shorthanded. You know, in, in our process, sometimes selling some of the, you know, formulate and advisory stuff that we're in. I mean, those are multi-year sales because it's this relationship process. And I think sometimes there's this illusion, this disillusionment that in LinkedIn you can create a connection with somebody and then wham, bam, send a note and all of a sudden you're buddies and the deal is done. It's been, it's been done. It's very rare for that to happen because no matter how easy the technology may make it for us to reach out and connect with people far and wide, it still doesn't do the work of building a relationship with those folks. Now there are people on the platform that do a good job of creating thoughtful content. They do a good job of stirring up a hornet's nest every once in a while on certain issues to continue to stand out and stay in people's feeds and stay in front of them. And over time, maybe build a relationship with multiple people that are kind of in their wheelhouse and then see where all that goes. But I, I still postulate that the platform's good for, for me more often than not. It's good for kind of looking at things in the news feed and having that content more specialized or customized for things that may be interesting that, that may be illuminating on the healthcare front. And I use it more for that than hoping that I wake up tomorrow and have three more in-mail invites on how people can ramp up our website and make it prettier digital content or whatever. And I appreciate what they're doing, but same thing with those folks. It's if I don't know you, it's hard to say yes to some of that stuff. So, you know, I think that that's the, the big no, no in this is it's, it's fine to build these relationships, but if you're pitching before you really added any, any value and, and that value added over time is what translates into a relationship that gets developed, you're pitching too soon. And there's got to be something in the process that you've created that allows you to be an educator before you get to that point where you feel like you can, you can make kind of that pitch. And I'll tell you, in the more elevated circles and in the very highest C-suite lands, when you're trying to bring a product or service to bear, very often, if you go and try to sell hardly at all, it's, if it feels like it's a salesy thing, it, it becomes kind of a turnoff for most of those folks because they are constantly being sold and they're constantly being asked to make 
difficult decisions. And with that comes just some degree of skepticism that's inherent in all those folks that hold those roles to some, to some extent, some more so than others. If I had a, another point, so that's kind of my LinkedIn item one, you know, just, you know, don't, don't start pitching before you're really, you're really, really sure that you're familiar with the person, you've built a relationship, and you know that you've added value in that relationship. Because if you pitch too soon, you can turn people off. I get turned off on that approach, it seems like, almost daily. The, the second thing, I think, in, in my world on kind of thinking through sales, and if you're going out and doing a pitch with a group, or if you're, you have a technology platform, a digital therapeutic approach, and you're trying to get it, covered or you've got a new wellness thing that you think will take things to the next level. If I had one piece of advice, and this is just a personal thing, it's I'd kill PowerPoint. I just, I, I know that there are a number of you that have a viewpoint that PowerPoint with slides and minimum number of words or technical diagrams, it creates this environment where you can talk and provide some type of graphical illustration behind you that colors it all together and and makes a prettier picture. I've found over the years that even people that I respect quite a bit, I found over the years that PowerPoint turns great leaders into idiots. I just watched something the other day where there's a C-level executive that was presenting on the stage on a video that was, uh, I believe, on YouTube that, you know, probably 500 or 1,000 people in the audience. It was, uh, you know, a presentation that might have been 15 minutes, 20 minutes long, and it was recorded, and this is a really smart person that understands this industry really well, but then you look at the delivery with PowerPoint, and it was so awful that I think I got through two or three minutes and had to turn it off. I don't think it's because the content in what was in this person's head was bad. I don't think the experience they were trying to drive was, was not good. I just think that turning around and reading words off a slide is kind of a crutch in front of a large group of people is, is, is a perfect example of get rid of the fucking crutch. Get rid of the PowerPoint. I've had a long-standing role, and most of you that know me, I don't, I don't use PowerPoint in just about anything that we do. Uh, you know, we've gone to a lot more Q&A style in everything we do in all of our meetings. It's agenda-based, Q&A-based, rich in content, trying to draw all sorts of stories and points of emphasis out by leveraging all the brains in the room and getting them engaged. And that could be even a meeting of five or six people. And then, you know, we were working hard on trying to master the art of while killing power PowerPoint, becoming the best at leaving the two page leave behind. Cause you know, if this is a, if it's a first, first impression, first discussion, just getting to know you, getting to know what the issue, the problem the issue may be for the potential prospect. I find that more often than not, PowerPoint still drives too many sales folks to do the whole show up and throw up. I've done this 9,000 times before. Let me hit play and kick this into overdrive. 
And I know that even in the early days of my career, I was guilty of doing that, that as well. And I think it's at some point when you become more successful and, you know, when revenue becomes the, the key driver to a successful business, uh, particularly when you own one on this end, the, you know, the thinking changes and something does click where you go, gosh, this isn't about a transactional relationship that we're trying to build where I'm, I'm sitting here telling the same story over and over and over again in the same form, using these PowerPoint slides as the, the guiding light and transactionalizing our story in a way where it basically comes off with how great are we? We, we are awesome. We've got this all nailed. We've got it figured out and our problem and our solution in this transactional form it fits everybody, including you. Bullshit. <laughs> if I'm on the other side, and I am on the other side often more times now than I used to be, is it is, it's a big bullshit. Bullshit. You know, just recently I went through a, a PowerPoint presentation where I was supposed to log into a virtual webinar and call in and, and all those type of things. And it was kind of, it was kind of fun for me, just as kind of a test the individual on the other line was, you know, I, I kind of had the hit play. I've done this a few times. Did a remarkably good job of describing the organization and who they are and why what they're doing matters, at least to them, why it should matter to me, by telling me why it mattered to me instead of asking what I thought and why I thought it would make potentially matter to me, which is the myths and those type of things in that, that PowerPoint world that we live in with some of you at least. And again, really good job, really well rehearsed, very, very fluent in what they were trying to say. But the thing that they didn't, because it was so much of a transactional thing, like let's do this and get it over with and then get to the questions, the Q&A at the end. And how many of you do that? I bet a few of you do. When that happened... And when they started, you know, I could hear almost like the mental play button being clicked in the brain of the person on the other end of the phone. I actually logged out of the, the actual webinar itself and just stayed on the phone, had no access to the PowerPoint slides and just listened to the individual. And when we got to the end, that's what I told them. That's what I did. And said, I actually got more out of the conversation because they didn't see the slides and I'm actually a fairly highly visual person so individually you know there's good charts and graphs and numbers my brain kind of likes to eat those things up but it's even kind of growth and development on my end I, I try to rely on some of those things less and visualize them more in my head and I felt that it was a little bit more of a rewarding experience because I didn't go through every slide now you know there are times I was kind of giggling where it was like yeah now we're on slide 13 and, you know, at the bottom. But what I was really looking for were just the themes and the discussion that, that resonated with me and, and everything else. But the, the larger point is, if you can, particularly in early discussions, kill PowerPoint. Don't use it. You should be able to tell your story quickly and get out of that and, even better, weave your story through a nicely thought through Q&A that's customized to the individual that you're talking to. And if you can do that, you'll be a leg up on so many of the show up and throw up people that are out there because there's God Almighty, there are plenty of them. So, you know, LinkedIn again, you know, the first thing we talked about, build a relationship before you start pitching. 
please. From a PowerPoint perspective, if you can kill it early, kill it and get to a Q&A, get to a stopping point. And then, you know, the next thing is, is you leave these discussions. You know, there's oftentimes, you know, as you get a little further in the process, there's always that person that says, yeah, I can make the decision. Yeah, I'm, I have budget. Yes. Procurement loves me. Yes. We're going to get it done in the next week. I promise. Trust me. I'm your man. And then they kind of ghost you. They go away. And, you know, this has been talked about by others, but so much effort is input on the, hey, circling back with you and just wanted to check in and gosh, I hope things are well. Here's a funny joke. Isn't this funny? You know, all those type of things that, that don't get to the real heart of what would drive things forward or maybe resuscitate something or get to the point that maybe the person really isn't the decision maker but really doesn't have budget. The organization is going through an issue that wasn't disclosed. But continue to add value. You know, in every post-meeting interaction, be thoughtful about what you're sending and make certain that what you're sending actually adds value to the, the person that you're sending it to. I, I, you know, again, personally, and many senior executives have this issue and then probably even a, a multiple above me. Getting email, I get deluge. There's a deluge of email that comes in every day. There's no shortage of email. And, you know, I may get hundreds a day and can answer 8, 10, 12. Be that person that either makes me want and the, the executive, the target that you're talking to want to either pick up the phone or call the EA and say, yeah, I'd, I'd like to get back on the phone with this individual at some point and chat about it in the next week or two or be the person that I'm, I'm willing or the, your target's willing to respond back to you via email. You know, don't be the individual that gives a reason where it's already overwhelmingly against your favor and, and not responding to you because of the tsunami that's sitting in my inbox you may not rise to the top. Don't be the, hey, just circling back guy. I catch myself doing it, and sometimes I still do it when I'm lazy and I don't, I don't want to think about it and be thoughtful with the person that I'm reaching out. And, you know, where I've helped myself is just, if I'm only going to write 8, 12, 15 emails a day, they better damn well be thoughtful. And that's just another way of kind of reorienting time and schedule and the value of your time. And that's something that's a little bit of a hack that I've used it that helps me at least. And that's, you know, that's my way. It may not be yours. And I say that always because you figuring out your way is part of what this journey is all about. So I think the other thing that, that I would throw out there too is just keeping an open mind being curious, remaining curious throughout the process as you're trying to figure out how to write this group or you're trying to figure out how to sell the solution. How do, we, how do we keep an open mind? How do we maintain a high degree of curiosity in what we do? Even if it may seem like it's the most boring product or service and you've sold it a thousand times before, how do you challenge yourself to keep it fresh? How do you challenge yourself to maintain your level of curiosity where perhaps you take your attention off selling your particular product or solution for a bit and you just put your attention on through the relationship building process of the prospect, learning what makes them tick, learning what their problems are and learning how you 
as a solutions engineer can solve that issue. So in this great game of curiosity, how can you be a better detective? So those are just a few little things that I think make sense. And if I had any guiding principle for any of this stuff and something that I think served a number of people pretty well, it's just, it's just the general thought and going through the sales process every day and, and understanding that people always buy for their reasons. They never, ever, 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 ever buy for yours. They don't. No matter how good you are, no, how, no matter how slick you are, no matter how well-spoken, how well-polished you are, no matter how great your PowerPoint deck looks, no matter how locked in your presentation is because you've done it and it's been successful 100 times before, every interaction with a prospect is different. Every interaction with a prospect will lead itself down the path of an understanding that they will buy for their reasons, not yours. So I think that's just a good way of keeping in, you know, good orientation through this, this process. And, you know, and I think it applies, you know, people will argue with me, but I think it applies no matter if you're selling more of a transactional product or, or the more complex multi-year, multi-tier implemented technology sales that, that are out there. I think, I think the mindset can be relatively somewhere regardless. So I want to change gears just a bit. Kind of flipping the page here, but yeah, I read an article recently from Tim Askew, and we'll link it up to the uh, podcast notes for those of you that log in and read them. And he wrote an article that was entitled Loneliness, the Hidden Scourge of Leadership. And we've hinted on this a little bit in the past, but I, I will. I'll tell you that even even me and a lot of you that, that that know who I am, I mean, know that I'm actually uh, maybe surprisingly a terribly introverted person, and that's why I like to live in the middle of nowhere in the Jackson Hole Valley that uh, is, is pretty rural and has a small population. It's the reason why, you know, I went from doing tens upon tens or 20, 30, whatever number of speaking things way back in the day on the speaker circuit and the tilt the world that comes with all of that and kind of uh, summarily hopped off of that puppy and do more of a private set of gatherings and kind of where healthcare is going, you know, under, under our brand. And some of that's as, as much for my introversion as it is for, for you guys, because it creates an environment where I think that, that we can all be public or we can all, in kind of a quasi-public environment, work together in an effective way. But I think that, you know, this this article with Tim, and, you know, there's all these axioms out there, leadership's only at the top, and, and other things out there like it that describe, I think, relatively accurately what happens when you're successful is another thing. There's another axiom that says that, uh, you know, are you lonely yet good? Because that means that you're you're leading your organization well. That organization organizational leaders that don't, I guess it it, it basically pushes forward some type of thinking that if, if you don't have some degree of loneliness in your 
you're not leading the organization the right way, I guess. <laughs> but those things are out there and that thinking's out there. And, you know, it's been important to me as we've continued to hone in on, on our business model and why we focus on top executives at a personal level. Because these, these executives, of which I, I've understood more and more, as I've gotten older and have helped uh, organizations build companies, have helped build my own organization, working with a great team. I mean, you, you start to pick some of these things up. And in the article from Tim, I mean, one-third of all Americans over 45 feel lonely. The Surgeon General from the U.S. said that loneliness is a health epidemic associated with a reduction in lifespan that's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's really uplifting. But it does lead to things that can can create challenges in all of our lives if we don't monitor it appropriately. But the reason loneliness starts to creep in, I think, from a top leader perspective is that, one, it's, it's when you're in these organizations, particularly it really doesn't matter, big or small, it's very difficult in a general sense to have an honest conversation about anything, about your personal life, about what's going on in the business, about challenges, things that keep you up at night, that make you keep you worried and, and other things. And that, that revelation that you've gotten to a point where you're kind of on an island and it's difficult to have an honest, free-willing, open-ended conversation with anybody without always having to worry about the potential repercussions of that conversation is an, an eye-opening experience. As I said earlier in the podcast, you know, referencing the meal ticket, when you get to be some of the bigger folks in these organizations, people look at you differently. They start to say, gosh, you are potentially my meal ticket. You are my path to promotion for, so I can provide for myself, my family better, or differently than, than it's being done today. Or if you're an outside player, you are my meal ticket because you might be the person that writes or signs the agreement that gets to procurement that adds significant revenue to, to my pocket because in, to my organization and allows me to ride your, um, I relate my relationship with you to fame and to better fortune for, for myself, my family and others again. And, you know, when people look at you as their meal ticket, you know, as I referenced a little bit earlier, it starts to create a greater sense of skepticism that comes with that because it's hard to know when you're living on the island who's real and who's genuine and wanting to get to know you and who's just trying to get to know you because they want you to punch that meal ticket for them. The third reason is that in every given day or any given day, we all face nonstop issues and challenges that give us, you know, these issues that give us opportunities to fail, to fall on our ass every day. We might be forced with three or four or five considerable decisions each day. And one of those decisions that we screw it up, that's the one that we're going to hear about. And it's going to come back that may be in the news that may be somewhere else. So you combine those three things and they just, it's hard to be honest with people. People look at you as a meal ticket and that, you know, these issues that always come at us, you know, the ones that we screw up are the ones that always come back to haunt us. 
and they play out oftentimes very publicly. You put those things together that, that creates this, this world, this moat around us that actually builds this island of loneliness. And you know, what stood out, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of articles out there in this world that talk about how to deal with these things. But what stood out to me with Tim was that he really pushed hard in kind of his conclusions and his thinking to say that it's really incumbent on great leaders to figure out ways to creatively inhabit that loneliness, to not say, gosh, I can't recognize this. I'm not going to recognize this. I won't recognize this. But to actually recognize that loneliness actually comes with the territory and you have to figure out a creative way to inhabit that loneliness, to transform it. And in transforming that loneliness, what are we transforming it into? And in his words, you know, we're transforming it into an enriched aloneness and solitude. That sounds fancy. You know, what I think's, I think that's one side to just basically say, I think I said this two, three podcasts back, you know, for me, the equilibrium point that I found over the, over the, the years that I've been now here in the Jacksonville Valleys, seeking out that really quiet moment, the dead of quiet in the dead of winter up near the Yellowstone ecosystem or in the Yellowstone ecosystem, but close to Yellowstone, you know, standing out on a place like Jenny Lake, looking around miles in all directions and saying that sound, that oneness, that sameness, that connection in that moment is, is where I try to go when, you know, I'm, I'm trying to battle even some of the own, my own introversion and loneliness things that pop up and the roles that I have. So I think that that's, that that's one way to look at it. The other side, I would just add, you know, this is my ad and there are groups out there where there are peer groups that you can join that are, you know, that create communities and you know, there's the visage that's been around for a long time for business owners and entrepreneurs. There are executive roundtables that are out there that exist today. There's communities like what we built that formulates kind of a broad healthcare community that allows people to connect up differently. But those are potentially formalized ways. You know, the less formal advice is just to follow kind of the social circles patterns and decision-making and say it's important even in these times of loneliness to make sure that we, we seek out and, and create enough coverage in our world to where we can have relationships with four or five key people that may or may not be in the industry that we're in, but four or five key people that we've built a relationship with that's deep enough as a peer that we're willing and able to have some of these harder discussions with some of these even personal discussions that may be riding on you or some of these things that you may be thinking through. So I think that's pretty good advice from Tim. I think the add on and just making sure you have those four to five people in your world helps take that beyond just the inhabit your loneliness to still find an outlet for it every once in a while. And, you know, on that, that note here in the uh, throes of the morning, voice a little tired today, I'm going to sign off and say we'll catch you here in a couple weeks. For those of you coming up to formulate, I think this is, a, I say this every year, but I really do believe this is a special group. I think there's 
a lot of uh, really great conversation that comes out of this. But more importantly, it's you know what we provide here more than anything are swim lanes for people to to jump in the water and swim their own course amidst a very diverse group of people that have different viewpoints on how to solve the industry. And it goes back to, or even solve for some solution or some problem in the industry to bring some solution to the industry. And it just goes back to that whole open-mindedness for you guys getting on the plane coming up here. One, bring a jacket. It's getting nippy at night. I'm pretty cold at night. And the other thing that I would, you know, that I would encourage you is just to keep an open mind, get in the game, engage, and define your swim lane over the course of multiple conversations with people you may not normally bump elbows with. That's what it's all about. Okay, so until then, here in a couple of weeks for all of our virtual listeners on the podcast, we'll catch you then. For those of you coming up in person here in a few days, safe travels into Jackson Hole and We look forward to welcoming you up to Teton Village, to the resort, and have a great couple days of lively debating things like hell and building and forging those personal relationships and maybe adding one one more person to your contacts that becomes one of those four or five people that ultimately are in your close inner circle. All right, this is Brian Melanson signing off. This is the Altitude Sessions podcast brought to you by Inform Innovation. We'll catch you soon. Thanks.